capable of puns. I'm done. We have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello, listeners. We're still on hiatus, but we miss you. We miss you so much. Um, but we are taking this much-needed time during uh, this here Mercury retrograde to do a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. But we have this uh, very special episode. Magical treat for your ears. We are so excited to uh, to give this to you. We have a couple very lovely business items to attend to briefly before we tell you about this very exciting interview that you're about to listen to, though, because uh, we have a bunch of new patrons to thank, which is always the most exciting news that there is. Yeah, we want to thank from the, the depths of our soul, Chloe Ruth, Elizabeth, Julian, Jason, Alexandra, S.A., Elise, Robin, Jessica, Rue, Todd, and Rania. Y'all are literally the wind beneath our wings, uh, helping us continue make this here podcast and making it more sustainable. So thank you so, so much. I love you all. Yes, I also love you all. Other folks who have supported us since last time we talked to you are those of you who have written us reviews on various platforms. So to those of you who wrote us reviews on iTunes, thank you so much. To 1412RLR, Sarasaur, Albeck10, Westen, Cannibal Socks, Valence Girl, Taco Cat3327, and Karis Clearwater. And also a big thank you to Kent on Facebook for your review. Um, Reviews are so helpful and also make us very happy. So keep, keep on doing it. That taken care of, we are here to introduce our incredible interview with Hannah McGregor, one of the co-hosts of the podcast, Witch Please, which we mention often on our podcast as the inspiration for us starting this show because they were serving the kind of uh, humorous literary analysis that we so desperately craved, but they did it too quickly and we wanted it to be chapter by chapter. And that's why we make this podcast is to make the content we want to see in the world. Um, Even if you haven't listened to which please you're going to love this interview. Hannah is so smart and funny and charming and the conversation was amazing um also you could take this time during our break to listen to all of which please like just yeah there's only like 20 episodes yeah like it's like binge watching something that's like 12 episodes you're gonna do it in like a couple of days it's totally fine yes this message is approved (laughs) so yeah with that let's get into the interview All right, so let's pretend that we just got on this call, shall we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. 
All right. So, hello, listeners. We are here in our virtual studio with the inspiration for this podcast existing, Hannah McGregor. Hi, Hannah. Hi. I mean, one half of the inspiration, right? Surely yes. Marcel was also part of it. Absolutely. Yes. And the objectively funnier and more charming half of the duo. I Listen, she is. I just know it. <laughs> I will let you say whatever you want about that. I feel like you both are <laughs> critical to the existence of your podcast. Um, but yeah, sure. hi. Can you can you say a little bit about, you know, who you are, whatever you want our listeners to know in yeah. case they haven't listened to any of your podcasts? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Hannah. Um, I started a podcast called Witch Please with my friend Marcel back in February of 2015. I have since written a research essay about Harry Potter reread podcasts as a cultural phenomenon. And so I know based on research that we were at the time the first Harry Potter reread podcast. Wow. No idea. Like absolutely no idea. It just happened to be because almost immediately afterwards, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text started and then the phenomenon really took off and now... Mm -hmm the lucky Harry Potter phenomena or Harry Potter fandom has dozens to choose from looking at the text from lots of different perspectives. But at the time we had never made a podcast before. Uh, I had only read the books once with the exception of the last book, which I had read no times. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I had, I was wrong. When I read it, I was like, this is new. Uh, So not a mega fan by any means. Um, Marcel and I just wanted to reread the books together and talk about them. And that was the starting point. And now four years later, four and a half years later, making podcasts and talking about podcasts is kind of the main thing that I do. I'm a assistant professor of publishing at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I make three other podcasts, um, two of which are scholarly, and one of which is a secret forthcoming project. So not going to tell you what that is. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and I like teach classes about podcasting as non-traditional publishing, and it's podcasting has kind of become like the major thing I do. It's all thanks to Witch Please. That's really exciting. Do you want to talk about your other podcasts that are not secrets? Sure. Yeah. So My main podcast is Secret Feminist Agenda, which is a formerly weekly, currently fortnightly podcast that's mostly interview-based, so I talk to interesting feminists about how they enact or think about their feminism in their own daily lives. I've had some really incredible guests. I've done three seasons now, so about 80 episodes so far. Um, I'm on my fourth season. It is... Mm, like mostly a project that is about me making sure I get to talk to feminists on a regular basis because otherwise (laughs) I start to go a little bats, let's say. Um, But it's also sort of an interesting extension of my work on scholarly communication. So I'm also doing work on peer reviewing podcasts, which some people find very interesting and other people find very boring. And that's all I'll say about that. We're on the interest, interesting <laughs> uh, side of that. It's actually something on our, our list of things to get into with you later. Great. So. Okay, so we ask everyone who guests on the show to tell us what 
your Hogwarts houses, even though we are very anti-sorting. Um, it still is like, I feel like one of those things that people use as like identifiers for themselves, like they use, you know, your Myers-Briggs type. Yep. So I, I still think it's interesting. Yep. So if you want to tell us about, about your house and what that means to you. Yeah. So here's how I think of myself. I don't you're you're astrology gaze, right? So Yes we are. This we is, sure are. <laughs> my friend my friend Lucia and I have this new tendency of like using sun, moon, and rising and then cross mixing it with other things to be like, okay, so like which good place characters are you? Like I'm a real like cheaty sun but an Eleanor moon and like maybe a little bit of a Tahani rising. Like so that yeah. is also how I think about my houses. So <laughs> I'm definitely like a Ravenclaw sun. Um, but I think I have a really strong, like Slytherin moon, Gryffindor rising mm. thing mm-hmm. going on. And I spent a long time of my fandom just thinking of myself as a Ravenclaw. And it's the really obvious fit because I am a professional academic and that is how I engage the world and it's how I think about the world. But I've been increasingly become aware of the degree to which like book learning and academia and the pursuit of knowledge for me are means to a different kind of ends. Mm -hmm. Like it's not the knowledge itself isn't what serves me. What serves me is mostly like a pretty intense understanding of social justice and my desire to do work that changes the world for the better um which is what i like the least about gryffindors and yet (laughs) and yet see inside of myself very intensely because it always feels to me like if you have that kind of orientation towards social justice there's some part of you that thinks you know better (laughs) about what the world should look like like that's why i don't like gryffindors in the books in real life they're fine (laughs) um i know this is an audio medium so nobody's ever gonna know what i just did um hannah just broke both of these gryffindors hearts but that's what like looking into myself and seeing and it's the same thing like i'm a gemini sun with an aries moon and a leo rising Mm -hmm. and like coming to terms with all of the fire in my chart has been a thing because i like really want like i want to lean hard into that air like, all problems can be solved with our brains. But, like, deep inside me, there's, like, but what if we just burn everything down? <laughs> um, so I'm, like, slowly coming to terms with, like, that Gryffindor side of me. I, this this is incredible. I also, <laughs> no, I want to say that first because it's funny because I feel like your explanation is how I explain for a long time I thought I was a Ravenclaw, but I've come to terms with the fact that I am actually, like, Gryffindor, Sun, Ravenclaw, Moon. Just okay. because it's like, I am a huge nerd and I love learning stuff, but it's like come to the conclusion that like the stuff that I like learning, it's like it's not just for learning's sake, but I'm just yeah. like, uh, I work, I like the work that I love doing in my life is like social justice like community building oriented. So it's like, yeah, yeah that's just very very strong Gryffindor and I'm just like yeah yeah I think 
literally jesse and i have both been like we're gryffindors because we like what we do is yell about injustice like that's yeah and neither of us have a choice about it so that's a thing that you apparently hate but you know Thing. I have uh, I just finished reading Wayward Son, which is the mm-hmm. second of Rainbow Rowell's books, and it's the sequel to Carry On, which are themselves. Have you read Carry On? Yeah, I also have. just finished reading Wayward Son. Okay. Oh, talk about Wayward I, Son I told you to buy it. Stop waiting for it from the library. Listen, libraries are great, but sometimes you just gotta buy a book. Okay, yeah. or I'm, steal I'm, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it. I just don't have time. Um, okay. That's I'm going to Venmo you $10 to buy it on your Kindle. You need to just... It's good. It's good. Anyway, so we won't uh... talk about Wayward Son, but I often feel about my internal Gryffindor self the way Baz feels about Simon's sort of self-righteous hero, hero mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, because I have that, like, like I want to make the world better. Like, I want to come in with a flaming sword and fix things. And then there's also another half of my brain that's like, all right, let's talk about your white savior complex at work here. Let's talk about the ways that you position yourself as somebody who has the right to make moral decisions over other. So it's like the Ravenclaw and the Gryffindor in my head are constantly fighting. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. If there was a crying about injustice house, I think that would be my house instead as someone who is like all water signs. Like I'm a Pisces and my moon and rising are both in Scorpio. So like if I don't, yell I'm crying in a corner so I don't know what that makes my yeah where my the fuck other... are the water signs in the Hogwarts houses I don't know like because Gryffindor is very fire Hufflepuff is earth Ravenclaw is air so does that make Slytherin the water house no I feel like Slytherins are like 95% Capricorns which are <laughs> fire or earth earth I feel like I, I should know you. this I couldn't just never, I can't ever keep Capricorn and Sagittarius straight. Because really he's a Sag. Is Sag fire? Yeah. Sag is fire, but I have... And Capricorn is Earth. Capricorn. Yeah, but yeah. I have a Capricorn moon, so I yeah. feel like I'm not at all a stereotypical Sagittarius. Yeah. Gotcha. And you're Scorpio rising, so... Yeah. And like, snakes on. are usually Earth signs, and then there's that whole like, yeah, I don't know. So there's just no fucking water there. No yeah. feelings allowed in Hogwarts. Yes, accurate. I'm, I'm just Myrtle. Just... I'm Myrtle in the bathroom. <laughs> just a Myrtle son with a Myrtle rising. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but actually, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> actually, I feel like uh, Myrtle son, Hippogriff moon is... An... Okay, anyway. Okay, all right. Okay, so next, <laughs> next question. That is the longest answer to what my house is. No, it's great. Time. I'm going to try to honor the time limit that we said we would stay yeah, I within. Got, I got fucking Dungeons and Dragons. We already I used know. up 20 minutes talking I about my house. Know. Okay. Oh, we have such a long list. Um, okay, so our next question that we ask everyone is what your Patronus is and then oh. how that intersects with your most deeply held identities. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely did the, like, Pottermore Patronus quiz. Um, it's a bad quiz. Mm-hmm. Whoever coded that quiz just, like, used an auto-generated Wikipedia list of animal species or something. It's very silly. Yep. Um, I got some sort of cat, but, like, 
a specific and weird kind of cat. And I was like, mm, this regard, this has nothing to do with me. I actually have my Patronus tattooed <gasps> on me. There she is right there. Um, that is a chickadee. Nice. I have identified with chickadees for a long time for a variety of reasons. I like that they are fat and fierce, just like spherical little birds. And they get yeah. fatter in the winter and their capacity to get fatter is part of their strength, which I identify with very strongly. Um, I like the fact that chickadees are non-migratory birds. Um, they like when you in the Canadian winter, they like go out in the middle of the winter to feed birds. And it's like you go out with a handful of seed and the chickadees will land on your hand and eat out of your hand. Um, in a time when like half the birds have migrated somewhere warmer and then the other half are like, you might eat me. I'm going to stay clear. And chickadees are, they are like tiny mundane birds that are extremely courageous. Um, they're also very socially oriented. So they are always with a group of the rest of them and it's their ability. It's their sort of social orientation that makes them brave like they are capable of doing more when they are working with each other. Um, but I just love these like tiny, unremarkably, unremarkable looking fierce animals. Like they just embody everything that I, that I try to bring into the world. Awesome. Love Great answer. That's so, that's so beautiful. Now I'm going to try to hand feed chickadees this winter. I mean, yeah. Michigan winters can be rough. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I want to totally try that. Yes, do it. Do it. They love a sunflower seed. Oh my the God. key is just to be patient and keep your hand very flat. Because if it looks like a claw, they get freaked out. But if you keep it really flat, they will come to you. You just made Jesse's entire life. Yeah. Jesse is a wilderness gay, for sure. I just want to be around all wild animals and any yeah. animals so yeah oh yeah. my god yeah. i heard a poet read some time ago now um who made a reference to carabiner queers <laughs> and it's like my favorite thing just such a good description wow i just i just had a very clear envisioning of what that is and i'm yeah. like oh wow How yeah have i never yeah i date almost exclusively that. carabiner queers <laughs> Like, I'm just looking for somebody else who can start the fire, op- <laughs> open the wine, oh my God. tell me yeah. how to replace the light in my refrigerator. Like, <laughs> these things are all too hard and I don't want to do them. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so getting into sort of like more podcast specific stuff. Um, so I th- I think at some point I told you like which please is in a lot of ways the reason that like we started this podcast um, because it went very quickly and we both we were didn't like... know we didn't know we were <laughs> supposed to do it chapter by chapter um, and you know for a long time we just like talked about how sad that was and then it I moved away from where we were would have been able to record in person and then both of us were like you know, we really should make a podcast. Let's figure out how to do it. Now that we live three time zones apart, that'll be easy That's and fun. perfect, though. It's like a combination of which please and call your girlfriend. Like podcasting as a way of maintaining a long distance friendship, which is also yeah. a great way to use podcasting. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, and which please was also my first podcast that I Ooh. ever listened to. And I am like 
deeply a podcast person at this point in my life. I'm dependent on them for like doing chores as someone with ADHD, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't do anything without a podcast because otherwise I'd have to hear the inside of my brain. It's (laughs) terrible in there. Oh, real hellscape in there. It's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Someone someone asked me at work because I listened to podcasts at work to focus because of ADHD. Mm -hmm. And he was like, how many podcasts do you keep up with? And I'm like, I don't know, like a dozen every week and then a rotating cast another dozen. And he's just like, what? And I'm like... It's like, what do you do? Sit in silence? Yeah. Like a sociopath? <laughs> Listen to music like a chump. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning about how sand is terrible for the environment. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who's 14, and every time we FaceTime, she's like, what music are you listening to? And I'm like, still podcasts. Still podcast. don't listen to any music. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And then she gives me music advice and then I give it to my partner. Yeah. Because they have the same music taste. So, yeah. do, do you also like Lizzo? Is she still yeah. in? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I do listen to Lizzo. But I gotta say, the only thing that will actually break me out of podcast listening is Steven Universe soundtracks. Nice. That's it. Awesome. Oh. Yeah, so, go ahead, which place? Yeah, I guess just that's like, that's how we both know about you, which pleases us. And we talk about it a, a decent amount on our podcasts. We try to be really mindful of crediting you all when we are like directly, like we agree with this insight that we gained from you. Um, most recently, <laughs> it was uh, the revelation that what jenny caught percy and penelope doing was that Pagan. yeah 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 <laughs> for sure yes. i mean like obviously yes i really feel like that moment set the tone for the podcast that was to follow mm-hmm. like that was <laughs> book one right two two yeah okay and so that made it our third episode because we right. moved <laughs> so quickly god um yeah, I feel like that was sort of a moment where we were like, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay, mm-hmm. like, we'll just move strongly in this direction. Um, yeah, I I loved making Witch Please so much for a variety of reasons. I mean, including that I really loved the listeners and getting to engage with the listeners. Um, the listeners and community taught me a huge amount. Um, like I learned a lot about the wider world through the people who engaged with us through the podcast. And also Marcel's a like freaking genius and delight. Like she is the favorite I've made podcasts with many other people now. Um, and she is still my favorite person to make podcasts with. (laughs) And I am literally just sitting around waiting for her to finish her dissertation so that I can be like, let's make a podcast again. Nice. I just think that we should reboot which place and start over at the beginning, but do it chapter by chapter. It'll last us years. It uh, sure will. Uh, <laughs> we would definitely listen, and we are also doing a chapter. It would be like, yes. Right? Yeah. Let me just, just put this. <laughs> we just need to get her to do it. I don't know how to convince her. She's got like a kid. Ugh. <laughs> I could just, yeah, I could... it does take a lot of time. It's very time consuming. And she is a real perfectionist, particularly when it comes to production. So that also adds a lot more time into, yeah. Yeah. I know a couple other people who make podcasts who are like, why does it take you so long to edit? And I'm like, well, because every time one of us coughs, I edit it out. Like, it just, 
That's, so it's never going to get faster. It's just and it needs it segments and a theme song and audio yeah. jokes and yeah, all of. This and sometimes stuff. when the chapters are really sad, I have to make an entirely new theme song that reflects the tone <laughs> of the chapter. We have to let people know when it's going to be just us being sad. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess just made to kind of transition into our next point is one of the things that I think I particularly loved about Which Please is that the kinds of conversations that the both of you were having were the kinds of conversations about Harry Potter that I feel like I've been having since the books came out, which is like mm-hmm. really just like in depth conversations with other, at least in my friend group, other like feminist queer leftists who are just like, you know, looking at it both very seriously, but also being like, okay, but McGonagall's clearly queer. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, it was just, I don't know, it was very refreshing to be able to be like, oh, other people are also having these kinds of conversations that I'm having one-on-one or, like, really random, like, Facebook threads on the internet. Yeah. It was, like, happening with other people. Yeah. Yeah, which is really, like, it's one of the really cool things about podcasts is that there is a space for, like, the super niche. And we, I think, like, a lot of other people who are interested in having queer and feminist conversations about their fandom sort of assumed when we started making it that five people would listen. Like we Mm -hmm. really didn't anticipate anything in terms of engagement. We were really modeling what we were doing off um, our friend Neil's podcast that he was making where he and a friend were watching the final season of how I met your mother and then talking about it. And that was like, and he would just put it up on his website and we would listen. And I found it really charming and fun to be able to, listen in on this conversation my friend was having so we were like cool we'll just have these conversations and then put them up and it really was news to us because neither of us were engaged in the fandom actively online that there were so many other people who were having exactly the same kinds of conversations who were like yes oh we want to talk about exactly this and also you think this but here like we have never been mega fans in the way that so many other people online are so every episode people would be like all right that's a cute theory and here's 500 points you missed mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like, every time you guys get something wrong i was like Mm-mm. Yeah. like don't that's worry not how that works <laughs> twitter let let us know i know <laughs> every it is an amazing like we got really good really fast i think at with the stuff that like technically we'd gotten wrong, just laying it roll off our backs, just being like, cool, great. Yep, absolutely. Like didn't pay close enough attention, didn't know that. While also separating out the stuff that we got wrong in a way that needed to be addressed. Yeah. Which I think is also a, a good thing to start to feel out is being like, I'm not going to get defensive, but like I also don't need to engage every person who's like, mm, I'm sorry, you missed this very pertinent detail. It's right. like, what's the difference between pedantry and a call-in? And how am I, at what points am I going to be like, cool, great. That's a cool detail. I forgot already. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Here's a critique I'm going to actually respond to. Right. I can't imagine the kinds of like, well, you missed, like, no, you got a thing wrong that like you should know from like four books from now, like kinds of telling someone that because like that doesn't matter at all. Um, but for sure, like we've, which this is the next point on our list yeah. is like, what is it like to critique something that people love so much? And we've gotten a, a few emails and comments from people who 
call us in about things like us talking too flippantly about like or too I don't know using I yeah I heard one of these and it because it was actually a very dear friend of mine Carly who is Tiny Lantern Tarot cool yeah who wrote into you to be like all right like let's talk about like child protective services and the way like using that as shorthand for like I want somebody to intervene and care for this child but that erases this whole history and it's like Yeah. yeah like that is the kind you know I know Carly so I know where they were coming from and I think that you really responded to that in the spirit in which it was offered which was not like oh I'm trying to prove that you're wrong about something but just like hey heads up think about this thing Right. right. And those kinds of those kinds of engagements, I feel like, make what we're doing more interesting. Right. To your point yeah. about like sifting through like, you know, we've gotten emails where it was like, no, it was like this character that died, not like the other yeah. one. Um, and it's like, OK, whatever. But, yeah. you know, that is like, oh, yes, like that's exactly what we're here to do is talk about things like this. Yeah. And that also leads to things like us getting and i i've like i looked through which pleases reviews on itunes and you all got a lot of similar stuff where it was like why why are you even talking about this you clearly hate harry potter yeah um and we've only gotten one of those so far we're pretty new i'm sure more will come (laughs) and so one of our one of our listeners asked us to talk with you about like what is it like to critique something that people love so much in a way that some people will listen to and be like do you even like this? Yeah. Because not everyone likes to engage super critically with things that they love. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very open-ended question. No. <laughs> it's it's so like the the direction that we came in, right? We were not thinking about audience. We were thinking about how we read books and how we wanted to have conversations about books with each other. And Marcel and I are both trained literary scholars. So we engage literature in a very particular way via a very particular set of tools and that's what we were doing not out of any particular desire to like teach people how those tools work but just because that's how we read now and I do think that for most people going through multiple higher degrees in literature there is a point where you have to grapple with how this new understanding of how representation and art works Mm -hmm. is going to shift your relationship with stuff. And you have to like sort of work through this period where it's like, Oh, now that I'm thinking harder about things, there are some things that I used to love that I actually can't love anymore. And sometimes you come back to things with a critical eye and you're like, okay, I'm going to think about this thing critically. And you're like, Oh, actually surprise. I hate it now. (laughs) Like this actually really ruined it. And that's fine. Because mm-hmm. thinking about things critically ruins them. It means that they were secretly bad the whole time. Yep. Bringing a critical lens to Harry Potter didn't make us hate it. It made us love it more than ever. Mm-hmm. Because we realized, even as we realized all of the things about the books that were really flawed and all of the things about Rowling herself as a creator that are like deeply troubling, we also discovered this amazing community of people who, for whom the books are sort of this shared imaginative world that we used to have conversations about things that we really care about. And that was such an exciting discovery for us, having not been particularly present in the fandom. The interesting thing is that, for the most part, I would say there are two things we get active pushback about. And other than that, people are willing to come with us. 
like for the most part, the things that we have critiqued, people are like, yeah, actually either, you know, that's an interesting point or, you know, that actually expands my understanding of the book. Like the people really love the sort of narratological theory, like Harry Potter as a, a limited perspective narrator who's thus inherently unreliable. The two things that people are most mad about is our argument that the text is fat phobic in its treatment of the Dursleys and our argument that the text is anti-Semitic via the figures of the goblins and the corresponding absence of any actual Jewish wizards. And those are the top two things that people are like, uh, no, it's not fat phobic. The Dursleys are bad people. Oh and it's God. like, you know, you can be fat phobic towards bad people, right? But like, <laughs> it's not, this isn't what it at all. And then people get so fucking touchy about, I think, I think British listeners in particular, um, though I'm, you're never totally sure where listeners come from, really touchy about when we're like, well, there's no Jews. And they're like, well, there's no religion at all. And we're like, they fucking celebrate Christmas. And they're like, mm, well, but Christmas is non-religious in England. <laughs> like, in British society, Christmas isn't a religious thing. Like, cool, tell that to uh, a Jewish person. Yep. And that's, been, that's always been baffling to me. And I feel like in, in a large way, that's because those two critiques often hit people more personally. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I hate fat people. And so I want to be allowed to hold on to that and to continue to hate and mock the Dursleys for their fatness. I don't want to have to give that up. Or I don't, I see Christianity as a default and neutral way of engaging with the world. And it sounds challenging to change my perspective on that. So instead I'm going to get mad at you. Yeah. We, um, we haven't come across either of those things yet. We now, it doesn't happen so much. Well, I mean, we talked about it in the first book, but it's not so aggressive, uh, in the early part of the first book as it is in the second and third, but we now, we just recently recorded the second chapter of book three three which is the okay. real dursley heavy chapter and in that one and in the first chapter of book two we have a in our politics segment a a part where we just list every physical descriptor we get of the dursleys and it it's is r- honestly it's, shocking. Wild, huh? it's yeah. trash it's yeah. such tr- it's like it's it's like yeah but just lefties fucking love to say shit about fat people whose politics they don't agree with. So look at the public treatment true. of Donald Trump. Look at, I mean, in Canada, we've got like the Fords. Everybody fucking loves Robin D- Doug Ford. Everybody like people love it when fat people are bad because then they can be like, oh, I love being mean to fat people. And you told me I had to stop, but I can do it with this person because he's a bad guy. And it's like, you you know that when you do that, we all know what you're up to, right? Yeah. Yep. That'll be real interesting if we yeah. um, if we come up against that. Yeah, I'll be curious if you get pushback, because we definitely got pushback. Yeah, we are, um, like, hashtag ruthless, so definitely not af- afraid to drag <laughs> our listeners for having wrong opinions. Yeah, I don't know if we... you've heard the episode where we start off by having a long-ass conversation about someone who um, left a review about the fact that they're, like, a white dreads person, which is something that we make fun of. Okay, I didn't, 
hear that, but I did hear the episode where you said that white people with dreads can never have good sex because they hate themselves too much. Favorite you know, I will, I will, I will stand by that. I will, I will bring on all, all comers about my deep hatred of white dread people. I just, it's, not, I just, it's 2019. Just stop it. Right. It's 2019. I have a bottle of conditioner and a pair of scissors. <laughs> P.S. Those aren't actually dreads because white hair doesn't dread. It's just, it's just gross knots you just yeah. put your hair into gross just, it's just, just a mat just shave it off just we did over. offer to uh send out listeners stickers in exchange for pictures of them shaving their dreads off so okay well Which we'll that offer still stands that. it has yeah. A, yeah if anyone wants to shave off someone else's white dreads and send us <laughs> i mean just like a video d- of you like snipping someone's white dreads off in like a line at a grocery <laughs> store we'll definitely send you a sticker what <laughs> if they actually mail you a white dread <laughs> oh I will not send someone a sticker for that. That's okay. too disgusting. <laughs> That's pretty funny, though, and it is disgusting, but... You can send Jesse hair in the mail. Please don't send me hair in the mail. Yeah. I have, like, Oh, man. We, we, need, like, a P- we, we, need, we need, like, a P.O. box for stuff like this. Yeah, like, you I'm, definitely like, need Ritualistically, a you... like, burn it and, like, on video. Yeah, anyway. what P.O. box is there for. Gross. <laughs> wow, uh, good talk. Cool. Uh... <laughs> Um, I am really interested actually in talking with you about the work that you're doing on like the idea of like public scholarship and accessible scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is one of those, like I'm a Gryffindor and I feel like really, uh, proud of myself for the fact that I'm like out here making accessible scholarship. It's something I'm very excited about. It's why I wanted to make this podcast. Um, and I think for me, it also feels good as someone who like, doesn't actually have a college degree, which is Mm -hmm. something that I'm like, this might be the first time that I've said that, like to a broad audience, um I feel really weird about it I feel great about it about my partner I'm like fuck yeah he has like a trade job that's super um I have enough credits to have a degree I can't keep my mind on one thing for long enough to pursue it I've dropped out of five colleges it's fine I mean universities suck so yeah it feels important to me to be like, yeah, like I don't have a degree and a lot of my education comes from like being a person on the internet and like talking to people and like recognizing that that doesn't make my voice less important Mm -hmm. and it doesn't make anyone's voices less important. And it also like, for a while I was philosophy major because of course I was and dated a horrible also philosophy major because of course I did and at one point we got in an incredible fight about the fact that I think that it would be rad for people to go through these like old philosophical texts and like make modern day like easy to understand and digest Mm -hmm. versions of them and he was arguing that it's important for like only the smartest people to be able to understand oh, those texts. Wow, what a what a neat stance. Uh-huh. 
And like literally, we were like on the bus yelling at each other. I thought you were going to say that he argued that like there is value in the way that things were written originally, and that we should like also hold on to the original text. Definitely not. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Like all of the above, right? Like let's have just like multiple iterations of things. Like, like I think that the way things are written really matters and that spending the time with text really matters. And also that like iterating things across different media through different forms of storytelling in different language is like always great. Like we know that about art, like it should multiply and take different forms, right? No, it should take only a small number of stable forms that are exclusively accessible to the most privileged privileged members of society. That's a that's a cool super a, super cool great guy. Yeah. <laughs> but so I think I think that that like that has been something that when I listen to Secret Feminist Agenda and like listen to you talking about things like making accessible scholarship and like not gatekeeping that kind of knowledge that's really exciting for me um to uh, to think about from that perspective I guess and I'm apparently only going to ask you really open-ended questions talk about that this is great because there is, so I am, uh, amongst other things, a big advocate for open access scholarship. I think that our work, wherever possible, should be published, should not be paywalled, should not be institutionally guarded, should just be open and available to people. And there's like some questions there around like books, like books are inherently not an open access medium, but we've got libraries, so you can access them through libraries. Like, I don't necessarily think that it makes sense right now that everything should be free. It's probably the goal. I definitely think university should be free. I think it should just be a right. Um, yeah. But in general, like, let's just break down barriers to access. Let's break things open. Let's make sure people have access to stuff. And there are people who argue against open access publishing, not based on like, oh, it's hard to figure out how to make it work financially, which is a legitimate critique because you have to pay copy editors. And how do you pay copy editors if people aren't paying for your work, et cetera? They're, the critique some people have is if work isn't paywalled and institutionally protected, then people who aren't going to university or college could read it. And then there would be nothing special about these institutions anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm like, surely. And people make the same argument against free tuition. Like if everybody can have it, it's not special anymore. Um, And that to me is the most wildly, white supremacist colonialist perspective on knowledge which is i understand because that's the history of the university as an institution is that it is a white supremacist settler colonial institution that was devised to protect knowledge like not protect is the wrong word because it sounds nice um to like (laughs) like hoard knowledge and to um, link expertise to wealth and other forms of privilege. It was created, and that that started to break down post World War II as tuition has, became more affordable. Um, and the humanities, in general, the disciplines I'm trained in, did a really fucking bad job of arguing for our contemporary relevance. And surprise, surprise, like they're dying off. And there's a lot of reasons why that's happening, but I think one of the main reasons is that we hitched our wagon to an elitist notion of what it means to do the work that we do Mm -hmm. and 
that's one, you're never going to sell people on thinking that like humanities scholarship matters. If you're like, listen, it's important, but you'll never be allowed to read it. Yeah. So you're just going to have to take my word for the fact that it's important, but not for you. Please publicly fund it, but never look at it. Like that's a bad, that's a bad take. Um, yeah. But also I just don't want to do work that hinges on like the elitist structures of the university. Like it's just a fucking bummer for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and if my scholarship can be a space, like I love teaching. I love the classroom. The classroom is already an inherently elitist space because who can afford to go to university? And it's less so the case in Canada because our institutions are all publicly funded. So tuition is way lower up here, but it's still like $7,000 a year and not everybody can afford that. Mm -hmm. And so like podcasting is a way, not just of making my research public, but also of like opening up my classroom and being like, yeah, guess what? The ideas that I have are for everybody. I want to be in conversation with everybody. I don't want to limit the people I get to talk to to the people who happen to be in this institution. And by happen to be in this institution, I mean have been like in advance pre-selected based on the biases of the institution. Like what a boring conversation to only ever talk to people who have had the same set of experiences as you. So I think I, I become a better scholar and a better teacher the more I talk to people outside of these same institutional settings. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's great. Everybody wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I think that's really, I think it's really great. I went to a private school uh, here in the U S for, I got a humanities degree, but I feel like even when I was in school, I would like, would always have discussions about like, okay, this is like really cool and all. And, but like, how do we, like a lot of the like you know feminist theory that I was reading was very much like this is really great but how do we disseminate this to like people outside of the ivory tower who are you know could use this in their lived experience to like help understand the world and everyone's just like "Ah." (laughs) this is part of the part of the complexity is what makes it great I'm like okay cool I have ADHD so this is already very hard for me um but what people who like have gone through underfunded detrupt public schools who like, like how are like, you know, they're living the reality of white supremacy, patriarchal society, like grinding them into dust. Like how do I, how do we connect these, these two things? Yeah. And we'll often have, we'll often have like a lived experience of the theory that you're learning in university. And we'll have like, it's not like theory suffers from not, being in conversation with praxis and lived experience and arguably is also like a tool that we should be sharing with one another. Like otherwise what the fuck is the point of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesse, I think it's your turn to ask a question if you have one. Do we want to talk about why queer people love Harry Potter? My God. Do you know? (laughs) (laughs) I was about i was thinking about exactly i think because i was probably in response to one of your episodes that i was listening to because a number of times recently people have asked me just in general why do people love harry potter so much (laughs) um as a publishing scholar harry potter is a fucking inexplicable phenomenon like it outweighed no other books compared to it like 
there's this like fa- there's a really great little press a poetry press in Vancouver called Talon Books and it's kind of like a famous local story that the guy who runs Talon Books used to work for Raincoast which is the publisher that published Harry Potter in Canada and he left Raincoast and bought Talon Books off his Harry Potter money like he made oh, enough wow. money off that one series that he could buy a whole press like it's just so wow. disproportionate from all other publishing. Nothing comes close to it. Nobody can reproduce it. And nobody can actually explain it. Because here's the thing. They're not actually that much better than other books. Actually, they're probably fair. worse than a lot of other books. So, like... Also fair. What is going on? Like, why do people... Like, she's not that good a plot developer. There's all... I mean, you you will encounter this even more. As you're, like, it's full of gaping holes. Yep. She's yeah. not, her characters aren't particularly original. Like, they're mostly archetypes. Um, she's a bad world builder. Um, and like, and yet, like, I reread the first one recently, and I was like, oh, fuck, this book is so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, but what about it? It's literally my job to be able to point to what makes a book stand out. And it's like, God, I don't know, it just gave me a feeling. Um, but here's my actual, like, publishing historian hat on. Here is my theory. I think that Harry Potter was in the right place at the right time. It's the same way that random people become famous. It was coming out into the world right at the same moment that digital fandoms were beginning to develop. Like, the early days of online fan fiction, online fan communities... Harry Potter was like the thing that was coming out at that moment. And it happened to overlap with the development of these early, like an archive of one's own. And then like the emergence of particular cultures of fandom on sites like Tumblr and Harry Potter became a shared language through which extremely online and disproportionately queer people talked about the world. Mm -hmm. And it's, even less about the books themselves and more about how we have stolen what is in the books and turned it into our shared world and our shared vocabulary to grapple with the complexity of the universe. And it's like, you know, actually, Rolly, you have nothing to do with this anymore. We just took it and it's ours now and we use it to talk about the world the way we want to talk about the world. Yep. Yeah. That is a beautiful segue into what will be our last question before we ask you a really cute question that a fan submitted, Um, which is, so you have talked a lot about Margaret Atwood's shittiness and- What I recently referred to as my least popular opinion. (laughs) I love it. So you're in in fine company here. Yeah, glad to hear it. But, you know- J.K. Rowling also, oh, also very shittily terrible. Yeah. And I actually think that you maybe answered the question that I have earlier, which is like sometimes you reread something and it isn't it do- it doesn't stand up. And I think maybe that's part of it. But like, you know, the 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 thing of like this is ours, you can't have it back. Like loving a work separately from the author. Like why? is it that we're all so willing and dedicated to continuing to love Harry Potter, despite the fact that JK Rowling is trash. Whereas (laughs) 
I honestly feel like given what I know, mostly through listening to Secret Feminist Agenda about like Margaret Atwood, I don't feel particularly inclined to read any more of her work or like put any more money in her pocket, despite the fact that I like have read a lot of her work in the past and like am a sci-fi and fantasy reader. Yeah. It's just, I mean, why waste your time when there's an N.K. Jemison in the world? Like who needs a Margaret Atwood? True. Yes. And also, um, okay, first off, I want to, I don't know if the two of you are familiar with, um, I don't know how to say their name, Maya Kobabe? Yes. He yes. recently guested on the first chapter of book three with us. Oh, that is delightful. I'm really excited to hear that. Comes out um, next week. So is sharing a zine called Harry Potter and the Problematic Author mm-hmm. on Instagram right now, which is an incredibly good account of the tension between like how much what Harry Potter means to queer communities and how trashy rolliness. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to shout that out because that is, I think a really great summary of a lot of these conversations and also just beautiful art. Um, I think it comes down to the degree to which uh, the world of Harry Potter lives outside of rolling Mm-hmm. versus how tightly aligned the value of Atwood's books are with Atwood herself. Mm-hmm. And I think that in turn has something to do with the different ways we think about literary fiction versus genre fiction. Mm-hmm. That genre fiction already has these norms of like fan intervention, where it's it's so common for us to sort of come into these worlds and be like, thank you for giving us this world, now we're going to do whatever we want with it. Mm-hmm. And we tend to not do that with literary fiction in the same way. Um, we tend to treat literary fiction as a sort of like a sacrosanct, like an object that has to be respected as it is, um, but can't be like played with in the same way. Mm-hmm. So I just think that there's a lot of life in Harry Potter outside of Rowling, and there's not a ton of life in Atwood's work outside of Atwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But Rowling's pretty trash. She's... It's no good at all. It hurts my heart when people like really really love her as a person and i'm like yeah that's weird yeah 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 it's that's bad that's a bad oh my God. stance yeah i have one more i have one more quick question i don't know if you have time for it yeah that was just before our, our listener question but okay so is there a series or like books that YA or otherwise that you would have you would love to see become as popular as Harry Potter oh what a great question oh I'm like looking at my bookshelf right now (laughs) like what books have I read what an an interesting question (laughs) have I ever this happens to me whenever people ask me about books I'm like have I read a book <laughs> hard to say um yeah i mean like i just would like like i've only read the first book in the series but like children of blood and bone was really oh, remarkable. Book is so good so, so remarkable good. i think the stone sky trilogy is by nk jemison is fucking remarkable um there's this new uh like kind of dystopian sci-fi fantasy series being written by, I think her name is Rebecca Roanhorse, who's an indigenous writer in the States who's writing. Ooh. The first one is, well, it's got something, it's got the word lightning in the title. 
Um, all of which is to say that, like a lot of other people, I think I'm really exhausted by the <laughs> by gravity and how it works. That was me <laughs> knocking my laptop over while trying to move my foot. It's a lot of cords. I'm really exhausted by the constraints of living inside white imaginaries. And for sure, that is like can only imagine how fucking exhausting that is for indigenous and black people and people of color. Like, but it feels like so constraining and so, um, so limiting and so boring. And I would love to for us to be spending our imaginary, like our imaginative energies living in and fleshing out and engaging with and deeply diving into the fantastic world worlds imagined by BIPOC creators. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like, yes, Harry Potter like provides us with all of the space to have these conversations, but we're still always going to come up against uh, these original constraints of the series, which is that it came out of the mind of like a white person living within white supremacy who we now know, like, when we think about these texts, we come up against all of their limitations. And it's like, yeah, we're going to push against these limitations and imagine our way through them. And also, like, what if we just spent some of this energy living in other worlds? I bet it would make all of our brains happy. Yeah. yeah. We're, we've talked, even though it's like five years away, we talk about, like, what will we do after this book? Yeah. Um, we have to figure that one out. Anyway, okay, so we're we're out of time, but I do really Give want to Give me that listener you. question. I've got time. It's adorable. Who from Harry's graduating class would you date and why? <sighs> okay. <All right. laughs> from Harry's graduating class. I feel like you can choose from any of the characters in the book, but any of the Hogwarts student characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's really, so the challenge is the degree to which I now identify so strongly with the professoriate at Hogwarts, Mm -hmm. like having reread the books from the perspective of a professor myself. I'm like, obviously the answer is Madam Hooch. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Um, I can't date these 12 year olds. That's disgusting. (laughs) But assuming like if were I 17 in this scenario or like they were like I just I think that I would do really well with Hermione because like I really stand a woman who can camp like, <laughs> I yeah. can't like I really like to camp but I I don't <laughs> know how to pack properly or what to bring or how to start a fire or how to keep us safe from bears so like what I want in my life is like an extremely competent partner who will like take us on a camping trip and also do a hundred percent of the work involved. <laughs> Hermione's and you the know perfect Hermione, choice. Right? Yeah. I feel like Hermione. we just came full circle on the carabiner queer. queer yeah. We really, we really did. Hermione's she a had, real carabiner queer. Yeah. <laughs> she had the tent. She had her unlimited bag full of stuff. Just everything, like She was right? prepared. It would be like dating Mary Poppins. Like yeah. what a fucking dream. That is the dream. Yeah. Ron does not deserve her. No. No. Not in a million years. That relationship is <laughs> just throw it away. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, they open their relationship later on, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Undeni- Undeniably. 110%. <laughs> 
I mean, at some point when you expand into the world of fandom ma- related material, um, perhaps if you have not already, you will watch um, Hermione Granger in the Quarter Life Crisis. You know, I've watched like half of it when it was coming out and then I haven't finished the series, but I was thinking about that today and I should finish that. Yeah. We We recorded an interview with them and then never aired it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Surprise bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, But so why Madam Hooch? Just before we leave this and ask you where people can find you. Just the most attractive feature in a woman for me is the ability to open a champagne bottle without popping it. Okay. And I just really feel like Madame Hooch would be good at that. Good with her thumbs. Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> that is an extremely accurate and correct answer. Yes. Thank you. Terrible Quidditch teacher, good with her thumbs. Yellow eyes like a hawk, very hot. <laughs> Fine, Quidditch teacher. According to the standards of pedagogy established at Hogwarts, which is, hasn't murdered even a single child. She has it's left true. many children to murder themselves, however. We <laughs> have a consistent call for Madden Hirsch to be fired. Show me a fucking Hogwarts teacher who hasn't. I can't, but I still think she needs to be fired. <laughs> she didn't even call a timeout when the bludger was chasing Harry. Like, No, because that's, that's just the reality of the game. I, our theory is that she's just smoking weed behind the bleachers, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. So, yep. mm-hmm. Anna, where can people find you if they want to find more of you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at HKP McGregor, where I am active. Also on Instagram at HKP McGregor. It's more selfies on Instagram. On Twitter, it's mostly shouting. And then your podcasts are available all of the places. You know, on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Secret Feminist Agenda is available at secretfeministagenda.com, which please still exists, and it's available at awitchplease.ca. And, you know, the other projects, you just find them on, just find them on my Twitter. <laughs> awesome. Well, perfect. All right. This Thank has you been so much. Delightful. Thank you. And this is perfect timing. I have to go run away and catch a bus now. Perfect. All thank right. you. All right. Just thank you so much. This was it awesome. Was lovely to meet you both. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of The Gaily Prophet. We are incredibly thankful, as always, for all of our listeners. And would like to remind you that other places besides listening that you can find us include Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we are at The Gaily Prophet. Also, our website, where you can listen to our episodes, see all of the show art and comics, and also find our merch store is thegailyprophet.com. And if you want to support us on Patreon, you can find that at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. You can find me on Twitter at jesse underscore detroit and on instagram at live from detroit and you can find me on instagram at lark malachi that's l-a-r-k-m-i-l-a-k-a-i or at radical healer and you can also find me on my website which is larkmalachi.com our theme song is by kevin mcleod our show art is by theo julian forrester and you can find more information about him in our show notes Yes. Other things you can find in our show notes include links to 
all of the places that you can find Hannah, which you obviously want to do. So with that, we will see y'all in December. Woohoo. Sagittarius season. <laughs>